0: Good afternoon. I'm Lawrence Cornfield, Chief Building Inspector with the Department of Building Inspection. And welcome to our uh, brown bag lunch series. This is uh, a regular third Thursday of every month event and finishing up here in the year 2008 with a talk about the outside lands, or the area that was once considered uninhabitable. And in fact, some of the old maps say uninhabitable due to fog. And uh, I live in the inner sunset, and some days I I feel that. It's actually uninhabitable. But uh, we have with us um, a couple of real experts in outside lands. Mr. Woody Labalty, wearing the outside lands hat. Oh, it's my TV hat, yeah. TV hat. Mr. Woody Labalty is um, somebody who has devoted a lot of his time and effort to the outside lands and run something called the Western Neighborhoods Project. Is that
1: right? Yeah. We're a nonprofit. It's our 10th year now, and we're dedicated to preserving and sharing the history of Western San Francisco.
0: Fantastic. And it's great to have you here. Wonderful to be here. And Pat Buscovich, who uh, is often a guest, who has a lot of knowledge and brought to the show today a lot of copies of maps and historical documents. And he can share that with us as well. And we only regret that Harvey, the wonder dog, is not with us today. Um, So the outside lands. When we uh, talk about Western San Francisco and the outside lands, what area generally are we talking about?
1: Well, the term outside lands came from uh, what was called the Pueblo Lands, when the uh, San Francisco Peninsula was switched over from Mexican ownership to American ownership, you might say. There were certain tracts of land that were reserved. They were Mexican land grants. And so there was a more orderly, even though it took decades, transfer of ownership of those lands. But there were also what were called Pueblo lands, which were technically sort of lands owned by the town, or the Pueblo of Yorba Buena. Uh, And then there was a whole lot of discussion about what should happen to those, whether the United States government owned them, whether the city of San Francisco owned them, whether they were open to be. Taken by
0: private settlers. Squatters. Squatters. So was San Francisco's border we we have sort of the southern border that's defined by Daly City and South San Francisco and so on. Was that defined at this early time or did that happen later?
2: Well yeah. The original border, San Mateo County did not exist when they originally chartered the state. I think there was sixteen counties and then a few years later they said they were too large, so they doubled that to like thirty two or thirty five counties and created San Mateo County.
0: This is an early map of an area that might have been known as San Francisco, but is this where we had a defined southern boundary of the city yet?
2: Well, the city, when it was originally chartered in 1849, I believe, was at Larkin Street. And everything west of Larkin was county. Okay, where's Larkin here? Larkin would be that street. Um, I think Larkin is right here. Okay. That's the original charter. Then, in 1850, Van Ness, who was a supervisor, did the Western Edition, where he added this portion. And it was called the Western Edition, even though it's really in the middle of the city, because it was west of Larkin Street.
1: At the time. At the time. I I didn't understand that when I was a child. It always seemed to me that it was east of where everything I knew was.
2: But it was west of the original charter line of 1849, which was Larkin Street. And then all this area down here was all city of San Francisco. I'm sorry, county of San Francisco. So there was a point of time where you could be in the county of San Francisco, but not in the city if you lived out in the outside land. Okay, you were so outside. we we have a
0: problem with this map. And the problem is that normally when you look at the orientation of San Francisco, north yes. is up. Yes. yes. Okay, so but now we're going to
2: turn it to the way
0: we are normally accustomed to seeing it.
2: So here's Lake Merced. Here's where Fort Point and the Golden Gate Bridge is. Here's where the Bay Bridge is, and the county went all the way down here, and and about a year later after they created 16 counties, they moved the county to right about here. So this was county land, or outside land, and this was the city. And this map is 1861, so the city had grown by this much. Horner's addition, which is Noe Valley, had been added by that time. Potrero Viejo and Potrero Nuevo, which were added, which are basically pasture lands. Uh, were added. That's where Petraro Street is. It's named after uh, the pasture of Mission Dolores.
0: Okay. And then out here at the Seal Rock Rancho.
2: These were ranchos that... What is a wa- rancho? It was a Mexican land grant that we agreed to respect in the Treaty of Guadalupe when we stole, Mexi- uh, stole California from the Mexicans. We agreed to respect the land grants that existed and there was a commission set up to vest those land grants. Regretfully, none of them were legally vested, so most of them were taken away from the Mexicans. The other portion out here were Pueblo lands, which all Pueblo and San Francisco was a Pueblo, would be considered entitled to four square leagues. And a league is 5,000 veras, and a vera is two foot nine. So 30 square miles of San Francisco out here was the possession of the Pueblo of San Francisco as public use, and that's how we got Golden Gate. When they acquired it as public land, part of the uh, Treaty of Guadalupe said you gotta follow Mexican law which says a certain amount of the outside lands must be used for schools, playgrounds, open space, that's where Golden Gate came from. The original county of San Francisco encompassed San Mateo County, and within a year of the state laying out the counties, they decided San Francisco was too large a county, so they carved off another county called San Mateo. At the time, the largest population in the state was in San Francisco. L.A. Was, didn't even rate a Pueblo. It barely made a Presidio. They had like 50, 60 people. Everybody in the state, maybe 95, 90% of the population was in San Francisco or in the Gold Coast, and everyone down the peninsula was like going, if we're in that county and San Francisco's got this huge population, We're going to have to go along with them. So they carved it off.
0: Here is somewhere out in the avenues. It says Strawberry Hill on my... Well, it's in the background. This is 16th
1: Avenue. We think It looks like it's the Richmond District, but it kind of shows what was on the west side of town. Uh, A great deal of it was sand, and for that reason, people thought that the weather and the sand, it was really not a place that people wanted to live, and it was going to be very difficult for San Francisco to expand west because of the living conditions out there. It
2: just seemed like a wasteland. It was. I think if you look at some of the early maps, they say Great Sand Bank. Bank, yeah, and it was three miles wide by about six miles long. It was this huge sand dune that just moved around.
0: In fact, here's an 1875 map of the Laguna.
2: De La Merced,
0: de La Dolores, or Lake Merced now. And it says along the side of this map, high sand hills between the Pacific Ocean and Lake Merced. And by the way, this had actually opened directly into the ocean, Uh, Lake Merced.
2: Yeah, Lake Merced was much deeper or had a higher water level. Since we paved over much of the city and diverted all the rainwater, the lake levels dropped, plus we pumped it. But at one time, the lake actually drained out into the ocean, approximately at where the Doggy Diner head now. And the ocean came all the way up to the Doggy Diner head. Somewhere in the 1870s, they installed a dam trapped the water in the lake so it didn't ex- exit out uncontrolled. And then for 10 years, people were drinking Lake Merced water as drinking water.
0: So here's Lake Merced. It's much uh, Merced. bigger, too.
2: I mean, if you go out, if you go to San Francisco State, the practice football field is part of the lake. You go out past into Daly City, there's that low-lying area. That was part of the lake. Okay, the lake so is here huge. Is, here you
0: go, and here is its outfall into the ocean. Yeah. And this other low area, I think, is, Pig lake. is the... Uh,
2: Pueblo, Pueblo. It says Kurta. Laguna Pueblo, but yes. it's a
0: different, different area. Yeah.
1: Mud Lake, Pig Lake, now it's called Pine Lake. Uh, right. a, there was a creek that came down basically through West Portal and, and fed that particular lake.
2: And that, that creek was filled in when they developed West Portal, and they had the brilliant idea when they dug the tunnel. Uh hey, I need a place to put it, so they filled the creek in with the tunnel muck.
1: That's the outer Richmond district, uh, 33rd Avenue and Gary, roughly, in 1910. But you can see, in 1910, we're talking about after the earthquake, but the Outer Richmond is still pretty sparsely settled.
2: And for anyone who's ever wondered what the Richmond is named after, one of the first settlers out there was a guy by the name of Marsh, who was from Richmond, England. Australia. Australia. Australia? Okay, we got But Richmond, Australia?
0: Yes. Well, George Turner Marsh was his name.
2: Good.
0: No trees at all. People see trees in the city and they think they may have been native... Sand and scrub. Sand and scrub. At some point, these outer lands not used very much for habitation, but were used recreationally. Absolutely. People would come out to the, On the ocean. streetcar lines, right? The
1: uh, where Gary Boulevard is today was originally the Point Lobos Road, and it was opened essentially so that people could reach a new restaurant slash roadhouse called the Cliff House. And there it is.
0: And we now have what the third Cliff House or the fourth? It depends Cliff if house? you're counting
1: the additions, right. but. Uh, but they all tend to burn down at some point or another, and we have to build another. That's 19th Avenue in the Sunset District, around uh, 1900. So if you're ever stuck in traffic on the 6 Lane Boulevard, of 19th Avenue, you can imagine what it was like back then.
0: And this looks like a eucalyptus tree to me. So yeah. I would say this is after they began to develop uh, some... Homesteading and, and trees and
1: vegetation. Was a large chicken ranch out there. Larson's chicken ranch was right along 19th Avenue, and uh, so he planted a little.
2: Where are there now is Larson Pool,
1: not exactly. He donated that land later to the city, though, and so that's why we get Larson Park. And this is on Gary Boulevard. It just kind I just brought it in to show sort of the farmhouse feeling of the Richmond. Well,
2: District. There, there's a water tower with a windmill in the back.
1: Yep. Got to get your water from wells. That's the Ocean House. That was one of the early houses. It was right near Lake Merced. We were looking at that map. Uh, and people would come out, sporting men would come out in their horses. They'd have little races with their horses and carriages and go see horse races, maybe get in a card game, have a drink on their way to the beach.
2: But, but this is when this was county land, so there was no gambling. Well, let me phrase that. This is where they moved people out to counties for the racetracks.
1: They were away from uh, intense public scrutiny out there. So they could do... <laughs> things that they maybe couldn't get away with in town.
0: So my understanding is that there were four racetracks in the city of San Francisco, is that right? Yes.
2: Can you name the four of them? I can. Okay, go ahead. (laughs) Pioneer, Union, Ingleside, and Oceanside. Pioneer...
1: The Bay District track was in the Richmond district. Oh, is the fifth? Don't forget that
0: one.
2: That would make five. Yeah. There we go.
0: Maybe there are more.
1: We have a big article on racetracks on our website, so if you want to go... What is the
0: website?
1: Outside Lands. Dot O-R-G. One word outside
2: lands.org. Now, the Ingleside, you can still see that because that's Urbano.
1: Right. When they, uh, when they developed where the Ingleside racetrack was, which is essentially just east of Junipero Sarah Boulevard, just south of Ocean Avenue, uh, they kept the oval of the racetrack and created Urbano Drive.
0: And I think we have some photos yeah, of we will that see
2: some in, photos. A, in a moment.
1: That's the inner Sunset. That's where Lawrence lives. I do. I don't know <laughs> if you can see her house. Seriously, there? Am I?
2: I don't think oh, it my. existed.
1: But you can see the large sandbank in the middle there behind the White House. That's about 11th Avenue, and it's just a big old sand hill. I mean, they had to do a lot of grading uh, in the Sunset.
0: And in the building department, as we go out there and look at people doing development, you know, building an addition or whatever they're doing, as soon as they scrape away the top six inches or whatever is there, it's all sand. It's all sand. Forever. Mm in my yard, and there's nothing you can do about it. That's what there is. By the way, the Inner Sunset was generally developed um, in response to the 1894 Midwinter Fair, which was held at, in Golden Gate Park adjoining the Inner Sunset along Lincoln at Ninth. And in fact, one of the first buildings that was built in that area, it was the uh, bar. And the bar is called the, the Little Shamrock. The Little Shamrock, and it is still there. Just west on Lincoln, just west from 9th uh, Avenue on Lincoln. And it was built to help service people who were working on the midwinter fair.
2: Yeah,
0: they helped. And which they're was still, they're <laughs> still helping the neighborhood.
2: Which is an offshoot of the 1892-93 Columbian Exposition. In Chicago. Chicago. Yeah. When they were done, it was such a success. San Francisco said, bring it here.
1: That's the Chicken Ranch. That little stretch of white line going diagonally across is 19th Avenue, and the buildings... Uh, To the the east of that is the Chicken Ranch. And then you can see beyond to the west, it's all sand dunes and hollows and gullies. and That's one of the roadhouses we were talking about. This was at the beach. This is as late as 1910. There were crackdowns and vice raids on roadhouses all the way through Prohibition. Uh, People went to the west side of town to get a drink and, like I said, to kind of escape uh, uh, public scrutiny.
2: (laughs) That's a good way to say it. Yeah, I
1: keep using that term. That's the Ingleside Racetrack grandstand. It was That's huge.
0: huge, enormous.
1: Opening day of the Ingleside Racetrack in 1895 drew 14,000 people. So, a lot of, they, they put a train line to it, they had a streetcar line. It was a big deal horse racing in those days, 1895.
0: Ah, a series of really interesting photos about Carville. So, Woody, tell us what Carville was and how it developed.
1: In 1895, uh, Adolph Sutro, whose name is attached to a lot of things in San Francisco, uh, owned a couple of blocks of land, which were sand dunes. They weren't, there was no pavement, no streets. It was just sand dunes. South of Golden Gate Park, there was a steam line, a train line, that brought people from downtown to the beaches, and mostly was used on Sundays. And it went along Lincoln Way to the beach. Just south of that, uh, a few people started using old, horse cars which are essentially street cars that were pulled by horses
2: Uh, they became obsolete
1: they became obsolete as cable cars and electric trolleys took over and they took these old horse cars and made little clubhouses out of them some of the clubhouses turned into actual permanent residents and you had up to a hundred of these little cars all sort of jumbled out there in the sand dunes just south of Golden Gate Park and people called it Carville
2: but they went all the way I remember when I was a kid going out there my father taking me there in the lake early 60s, they went all the, there were some of them all the way over to near the zoo. And they had taken more modern streetcars and made homes out of them by just picking them up and putting them on a sandlot. Well,
1: after the 1906 earthquake, uh, they put in a lot of electric car lines, and suddenly they had all these cable cars they could use. So it just kept growing mm-hmm. and people.
0: And here's a building incorporating cars In the upper the story.
1: That was St. Andrew's Church, <laughs> 47th Avenue. And a lot of artists and writers and people of you might call Bohemians of the time went to Carville. It was a artistic place to hang out. So uh, you had Jack London and Xavier Martinez and people like that going out, maybe getting inspired by the landscape, maybe just partying. We're sort of going pushback. over to the racetrack.
0: Yeah. Wasn't there some pushback here? Wasn't there a sort of a, it had an unsavory reputation and in people 1913,
1: in the uh, Sutro's land was settled and his block was to be sold. And a lot of people didn't like Carville because they thought it, it yeah, they thought there was a lot of romantic rendezvous happening there that perhaps shouldn't be. Uh, so they had a ceremony they called it Burn the Car Out of Carville. And they stacked up about four or five of the old cars and had a big bonfire. It was the Fourth of July so they threw some fireworks in too. And they were trying to announce that this is a new neighborhood. It's respectable. No more of those sporting men in their hussies out at the Carville homes. That's essentially the last and best Carville house. It's on the Great Highway. And it's the back. This is in the backyard. It's two cable cars that are joined together. They took out the walls and connected the roof. And a horse car as a bedroom. And I'd like to buy it.
0: And <laughs> I think we have a photograph That's the interior. of the inside of one of these cars.
1: Yeah. And some of the original cable car benches are still there on one side. It's a it's a wonderful place. I'm writing a book on Carville. This time next year, get it for a Christmas present. That's UCSF on Parnassus, 1910. Adolf Sutro donated the land to to build the hospital.
2: He had a lot of land in San he Francisco. He did.
1: He bought a Mexican land uh, a rancho, the Rancho San Miguel, in 1882, and it was a huge chunk of land in the middle of the peninsula, and uh, it took decades for it to fill in with housing.
2: And then when he died, he left 1,100 acres to widows and orphans, and his children fought that trust until they broke it, and those 1,100 acres comprised St. Francis Woods, Sherwood Forest.
1: Forest Olden, Hill.
2: Forest Hill.
1: So yeah. It was, a, it was a contentious thing. It took about 13, 15 years in probate to settle Sutro's estate. This was actually in Golden Gate Park, the casino. And it was, a, it was a controversy at the time to have sort of a, a place that served liquor and had uh, card games in Golden Gate Park. And eventually it moved to 24th Avenue and Fulton Street. And was we,
0: we still have the, the newly recently re, ref, refurbished uh, stop along the Great Highway. What is it called in Golden Gate Park? Beach Chalet. The Beach Chalet. Oh, yeah, you can get it's a drink locals. in Golden Gate Park. You're right. hmm yeah. Which I always find ironic that the, they used federal highway funds to refurbish this as a place for drivers to get a drink. Yeah. <laughs> terrific.
1: There were farms and there were dairies in the outside land. So as these houses, you can see around 22nd and Clement, are starting to be built and there's more conventional residences. There's still a farm, Cheek and Jowl, up against them. And in the distance, you can see it's still sand dunes in the center of the Richmond district there.
0: And water, once again, from windmills and wells. There's no water out there
2: to speak of. There's a few small lakes. Some of the lakes in Golden Gate Park are are natural lakes. They're not all man-made. Yeah.
1: It took a while to get the water lines out there. That's the park side. We're looking at houses at 32nd and Vicente up there in the distance. But you can see the huge sand dune behind it. It It was a challenge to get basic services and to deal with these sand. People, they build houses and then... Instantly, huge sandbanks would blow in the night and basically close up people's front doors. So, they had a lot of development that was needed before they could make it a, a really nice place to live.
2: This is the Parkside uh, real estate brochure from, what, about 1913? '8?: 08. Yeah. And inside there's pages you can read, but this basically shows what they were going to do. They had some grand boulevards, which never occurred, yeah. and it's right up against Sigmund Stern Grove that was being shown, might be developed, but never got developed. They yeah,
1: they, the Parkside company, the realty company, they were going to just like take all of Sigmund Stern Grove and essentially fill it in and put houses in there. That was their plan. And it was a grid. It was a very nice square grid. No, Who cares if it's a gully? We're going to put a grid in. So the south side of the sunset is called the Parkside. People get confused about that because you think it would be closer to Golden Gate Park. But they, it was sort of a realty marketing scheme because mostly it was sand dunes and cold and windy. But the first announcement was, oh, it's much warmer than you'd imagine. and. Uh, Stern Grove, there were trees there. Oh, it's beautiful. There's trees, and you know you can get away from the wind, and it's sunny. And, and So they were just trying to make it sound nicer than it was.
2: And there was a roadhouse down. Or there still is a roadhouse down. The Trocadero. Down. Yeah.
1: You can run it for your wedding. It's in Stern Grove. The Trocadero was built by the Green family, who owned that land. And uh, suppose well, Abe Roof, who was <laughs> the boss of San Francisco and was dethroned from that position after the 1906 earthquake, uh, when he was arrested, he was arrested at the Trocadero. They tracked him down there. He was hiding out.
2: And that was still county by that time? or No, it probably city was land. Uh, city then. City land. Yeah. Richmond District Homes.
0: So this was after it was subdivided into standard lots, which are typically how big? 25 by hundred typically? Yeah. They're big, 100. yeah. I mean,
1: if you go, if anybody lives here in the Richmond or Sunset, you might have a backyard that's twice as long as the footprint of your house. So a lot of smaller home builders started taking root, some larger ones. Fernando Nelson bought the whole Bay District racetrack that was in the inner Richmond and built tons of homes. But a lot of times it was like this, just a guy would buy a couple of lots and essentially build a, two houses and try to sell them, or live in one and rent the other, sell the other.
2: And they did that all the way up into the 40s where I, one of the yeah. last parcels a friend of mine lived on, which was on 28th and Cabrillo, which used to be a garbage dump. <laughs> and in the in the 40s, they filled over the garbage dump with sand, because they had lots of that lying around, and built 19-track homes.
1: This is Park Presidio Boulevard in the Richmond district. If you're driving to the Golden Gate Bridge, you're on a road, which is this piece of land. After the 1906 earthquake and fire, uh, there were refugee camps formed, and in a lot of the refugee camps, there were earthquake refugee cottages built. These were small, little portable cottages that were built on these camps, and the idea was you could live there, and then when the camps closed after about a year, you could take it away to an empty lot, and you it's it start your starter home. You had to buy it. You did have to buy it, but your rent, because you they actually, you actually made people rent these yeah. for $2 a month, would go towards the purchase price. And by the end, they just wanted to get rid of them, and so a
2: lot of people got them for free.
0: Let's uh, get a microphone to this gentleman. And In
2: 1930, all these pulled into yards were declared uh, substandard structures, and the city said, we want them all destroyed because they were blight. Thank God they didn't all get destroyed. However,
0: there still are many. How many are left now? There's at least 30. In the city. Out
2: of
1: 5,610 built, there's Mm -hmm. 30. A couple are in Santa Cruz, actually. They got dragged down to Santa Cruz, if you can believe that.
2: Yes, sir. Okay. I, I just wanted to find out what the orientation of this picture is. Park Presidio would have run... Uh, we're looking north. Okay. And it, Park Presidio would have run pretty much right through there?
1: Right. This was so reserved as a city land for a park, and the people in the Richmond were really excited because they were just about to start doing some uh, landscaping of the park. And then the earthquake hit, and they said, oh, sorry, no park. We're going to put, instead, a whole thousands of refugees here in your midst. And the neighbors really complained about it until they realized that they could sell goods, services, anything, to these refugees. And they made a lot of money for a couple of years. So they were OK with it.
2: I'm sorry, is, is Park Presidio Boulevard existing now? Uh, or was it put in after this?
1: There was no boulevard. The boulevard really came in uh, in the teens. And then when they built the bridge, they expanded it and made it uh, through the MacArthur Tunnel to the bridge. This is the sunny side, which is just uh, northeast of City College Uh, Another early sort of land scheme by Baron Joost, and this is a point you were making, an excellent point, that streetcars were a very important factor in getting the west side settled. And so he built the first electric streetcar in San Francisco, and he conveniently had to go right to a bunch of land he owned where he created the Sunnyside neighborhood.
2: Which was a suburb, and you take the streetcar out to the suburb.
1: Outside of town is the way it was described almost. Not that far, he would try to say, but... Far enough. Yeah.
2: And it wasn't sunny, either, out there. But still... Again,
1: it's all marketing.
2: The Sunset District isn't sunny, except for three days a year. Yeah. Now,
0: I'm looking at the names of streets. And we have Flood and Spreckles and Moulton and Juiced. And then we also have Edna and so on. Who got to name the streets in these new subdivisions? Well,
1: Juiced, he's got a street name here. He named these. And what's interesting is uh, it was alphabetical on the sunny side. It goes Acadia...
2: Oh, this is another alphabetical set? Of it is priests?
1: alphabetical, but then it ended at Hamburg. And then in World War One, people didn't like Hamburg anymore because they thought it was too German. So uh, they changed it to Ridgewood.
2: But so there are five sets of alphabetical streets in the city. There's the Sunset set.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: There's two in Bayview Hunters Point. Yeah. There's one at Treasure Island.
1: Oh, I didn't think of that. Yes.
2: And then there's one out here. Yep. And they cha- and there were some all the way up into 1909 alphabetical streets. But this predates zip codes, so people on the A Street in Bayview-Hunters Point were getting Anza mail, yeah. and they said, okay, after the earthquake, we're going to clean this all up, and we're going to rename all the streets, and in the Sunset Richmond District, they decided to name them after Spanish Explorers, which was controversial, so there was a yeah. compromise. And some of the streets, like Wawona is named after an Indian place in Yosemite, Santiago and yeah. Noriega were the great Spanish explorers.
1: What's interesting is they had the numbered streets already put in, so very nice and simple, 19th Avenue, 20th Avenue. What they wanted to do originally was name the north, the the, the other ones by Spanish explorers, but they also wanted to name all the east-west ones with Spanish names, too, so it would be like San Felipe Drive and San Marquez Way, and, and it was just so confusing. Everybody said, just keep us, just give us our numbers, let us keep our numbers. And there was a big complaint about the the Spanish names. And so a few of them, like Kirkham and uh, Irving, they kept more anglicized, you might say. These are these Parkside cottages. I was just showing that very early on, even as early as 1908, they basically had this spec book and said, look, you can build this cottage. Here you go. And we'll give you the plans and take it away. So we think of that as later when they started building all these cookie cutter homes in the 30s. But they were doing it very early.
2: And this is a placard for one of those cookie cutter homes. Kind of interesting. We talk about housing today, and could we build them? I've got two of these. The other ones in the seven thousand. This is six thousand nine hundred and twenty-seven. This company made ten thousand of these, and they got up to about sixty-five of these track homes that they built. And they put them right up on the front of the building, and that was how you could figure out which building you're buying.
1: In the garage, actually, and you still go. You can still, if you go to an open house, you look in the garages out in the uh, sunset and the park side and uh, areas around Lake Merced. You'll see these. These placards in there. And here they are built. And this is 1930, uh, Wawona, I'm thinking, in 38, something like that. But you can just see, that it was uh, sand, sand, sand.
0: And for some of these tracks, they built temporary train tracks and rolled trains in with materials and unloaded in front of the development sites.
1: And they'd bring in steam shovels on the tracks to kind of help grade. This is Terravel at 34th Avenue. And these three houses you can see, can you see the houses that? They're still there, but you just see how optimistic people were. They would buy three lots, and they'd say, okay, we're going to build my three two-story houses here. Eventually, it'll all fill in, and it did, but sometimes it took decades, as you can see by these three lonely houses on Taraville Street. This is Sunset Boulevard being put in. Uh, (laughs) More beautification of the sunset. They were putting this big boulevard. But again, they're just essentially planing out a gully in the middle of the sand dunes.
2: You owe me something. Oh, (laughs) really? Yeah, and the best
0: part is that's the date. I owe you. You getting this? For future draft picks. Pat Buscovich just gave Woody this sign.
1: This is terrific. I've been wanting one of these actually for years, and I can tell you that I can almost date this by this number because I know that they were at like 5,300 in 1950, and before they they went to Ceremony and they built Ceremony, this company. Um, So I'm betting they used to be on
2: 19th Avenue. Their building is still there.
1: It's a beautiful building. Yeah. I, I, the
0: streamlined the
2: Unfortunately, they were
1: not the most enlightened company. They were very strict about not showing homes to African Americans or any minorities, and they got in trouble for that for decades, even into the 70s. Um, they kept, Willie Brown actually made his name in his early days by going and trying to see one of their homes in Forest Knolls. And it was a very political stage thing, but he kept trying to go, and every time he'd walk up with a whole bunch of people, the person who was showing the homes would sneak away and kind of hide, close the door, quickly lock it, and run away. Um,
2: there was a, even in the teens, though, there were a lot of neighborhoods that had deed restrictions against certain right. groups of people. This that is in the
1: 50s, though, right? So, I mean, it was going on. Willie Mays had trouble buying a house when he moved to San Francisco when the Giants came out to New York, and there were a couple of people who wouldn't show him a house. And they actually had to enlist the mayor and a bunch of people to let him see a house that he might buy. This is near the reservoir in the Outer Sunset. I just wanted to show you how, they, how the companies like the Henry Dolger Company and the Gellerts and Chris McKeon, they would just take a block and they would start erecting houses. And they liked to brag they were building two a day, which is a great exaggeration, I think. But the 30s were the big boom times in the Outer Sunset. strange. During early. the recession. Yeah, during the Depression. It was strange. Yes. What's well, the Depression? This is a recession. Yeah. You <laughs> <promise>? <laughs> yes. You promise? Yes.
0: These are just homes in Westwood Park or Westwood Highlands being built. So, Pat, you're a structural engineer. Tell us, how does this horizontal uh, sheathing perform? compared to? Thank God they
2: stuccoed it over it. So <laughs> the,
0: the composite assembly of works. sheathing and stucco. It works for earthquakes. It works. And
2: they're so low. Their, their aspect ratios are good. Mm-hmm. But you wouldn't want to have an earthquake while it was, it was still in the wood frame stage. You would want it looking up the picture you can see after they stuccoed it. And they put a, like a chicken wire mesh on it so it was like a thin layer of concrete nailed to the uh, siding now in the when I go out
0: and inspect buildings that are being remodeled I also I often see that chicken wire mesh is completely gone because it's rusted out yeah it, it was and lightly
2: galvanized and mm-hmm. the salt water out in this area even the fog was enough to rust it out mm-hmm.
0: so people think stucco is waterproof and protects it but stucco is not waterproof in fact in fact it seems like it or hygroscopic you know it sucks the water and so yes you have to keep stucco water protect weather protected and painted
1: that's essentially one of the blocks right near where those houses were built I was trying to show the bungalow mania that was going on in the late
0: 20s
2: junior fives
1: the junior fives came a little later but man they were building houses. i could, they everybody all these companies had records record sales and building houses remarkable rate in the late 30s you could buy a house for forty-eight hundred dollars in the outer space. On terms
2: too. They even gave you. The, they loaned you the nothing money.
1: down. You can pay us later. Forty-eight hundred dollars, because we got to sell this because we got a house we're building right next door, and we got to sell. This is Sheridan School in the Ocean View. Uh, it's dedication, and you can see some guy there in the middle railing against the mayor. Actually, is what he's doing, but uh, I was I was trying to point out that these early neighborhoods, and this is 1910. Uh, they would have to do a lot of things themselves. They would the, the first Sheridan school was actually built by the neighbors. The school district didn't have the money, didn't have the interest, and they had to build their own school. And so when they finally got a school that the city built, a new school, it took 25 years for them to get it. And this is its dedication.
3: Um,
0: and I notice here they have diagonal sheathing on this upper floor rather than horizontal sheathing. That was
2: because they had an architect in charge, and you could get lateral strength with diagonal sheathing. So some of the great homes in San Francisco built before the earthquake had diagonal sheathing. They understood the difference. It was just harder to install, because all the joints had to be cut at a 45-degree angle. So the cheaper homes had straight sheathing, which is, and this had diagonal sheathing.
0: So much much more effective as, yes. as bracing for the yes. building, for earthquake or wind load or anything, really.
1: Oh, this is just the crowd watching that same scene. And those three buildings are still there in the Ocean View. That's on Capitol, I think. That's the Twin Peaks Tunnel kind of hiding there behind that building, in West Portal. That was a big, big deal for getting a lot of the neighborhoods that we were talking about in the old Rancho San Miguel property. Ingleside Terraces, St. Francis Wood, Forest Hill, Ingleside, they were all waiting for this tunnel because it would cut the commute times. People could get on the streetcar, be downtown in 20 minutes, otherwise they'd have to go out through the Mission to get to downtown. It made home building and buying just a ridiculous proposition. But the tunnel was going to solve all the problems.
2: There's the tunnel. Yeah,
1: here's even before. 1916, 1915, they're building the tunnel. So this is West Portal looking um, south. It's late teens.
2: 1920-something, oh, 29.
1: 1920, early 20s. Oh, that's just a Christmas shot. <laughs> they used to decorate the tunnel, make it look like a chimney with stockings.
2: Now you can't see that. How come because, they don't do that now? Well, they built that thing in front that overhangs. <laughs> it yeah. so kind of obstructs the actual portal.
1: There, that's, there we that's go. That's the 10 years later photo. You can see that. West portal went from, oh, well, maybe it'll be okay, and then the cars really took over, and now this is um, a 40s shot at Christmas time.
2: Look how busy it is. It kind of
1: looks that way now.
2: There's the overhang, and the portal is oblivious behind it.
1: Oh, this is the ocean view we were talking about, and uh, just I just like the building with the witch cap there. And Most of that's gone now. That's Sagamore we're looking down.
0: Golden Gate Heights, view from Funston at Pacheco.
1: 1928. So that's like 16th Avenue down there in front of us. And you can see lots of sand dunes. Houses are just starting to take over. And then I think we have a, a later photo coming up that kind of shows what's it's like. And okay.
2: just a little nuance. Funston is, is there because no one wanted to live on 13th Avenue. Oh. So they created, there is no 13th Avenue. There's Funston.
1: Yeah. There's the reservoir, the Sunset Reservoir and the sand dunes. And they're, on the lower left there, they're building houses right in the dunes. Oh, that's the today shot from the 1928 shot that was two ago. That's 28. That's the same view in 1990.
2: And the parks are much better. Uh, This is
1: uh, Westwood Park. And this was a big movement uh, just before the tunnel opened and after to build what was called residential parks or residence parks. And the idea was that instead of this grid pattern and having a, a a bar next door to your house. These were going to be exclusive residential communities, the gated communities of their time. And the streets should follow the, the curve of the land. So they had lots of curvilinear streets and places where you could walk and get lost. They had decorative plinths and vases, uh, stairways. And it was, the whole idea was that uh, a, a guy would come home from his work and he should be elevated and think great thoughts in this park-like setting when he got home. And not be in the hustle and bustle of an urban environment. But they were very restrictive, as we mentioned, that they tried to say, well, you had to have certain setbacks, and you have to have, uh, you can't use the buildings for other than a residence, and you can't be any minority to live or own or even visit unless you've got some kind of permission. So that was a, a big problem with the residence park.
0: And they're still here, and you can go and see this place. Yes?
2: Could, I'm not positive I know where this is. Could you orient yes. me there?
1: Uh, you can see the little, I don't know if you can see the label, it says Ocean Avenue on the bottom left. That's Ocean yeah. Avenue. Uh, Monterey's th-
2: up high. I yeah, the you. center
1: line of that oval is Miramar Avenue. Okay. Um, what's there that anybody would know?
2: Northwood, Southwood, Eastwood, Westwood.
1: Yeah, well, if you know that, then you know Westwood Park. So, but there's two gates, there's two pillars that say Westwood Park. On the Monterey side, there's a beautiful ornamental gate that welcomes people down Miramar to Westwood Park. All bungalows. It was a bungalow community.
0: When you say bungalow, what do you mean by that word?
1: I mean, traditionally, that's that sort of, uh, it's, it's up on a little, uh, a half story, you might say. About right? a garage. They often have overhanging eaves, a lot of little decorative sort of stonework on the outside was a very common thing. They're smaller homes. They were supposed to be, you know, within reach of the average working man. They were these sort of small working-man homes of the time.
3: Architecturally, the bungalows were derived from craftsman style and then combined with the Mission Revival. And you'll see those two architectural styles mixed. This is a very attractive neighborhood, and I'm a real estate appraiser. And for years, uh, I would appraise in this neighborhood and think, these homes are lovely. They, They have fairly large lots. They're set back. Uh, there are attractive plantings, uh, treescapes in Westwood Park, and they were really undervalued. Of course, that's not been the case for 10 or more years, but there you are.
1: Well, it's interesting because on the south side of Ocean Avenue, Ingleside was much more of a hodgepodge. It developed very piecemeal. Um, and it, it was not master planned in any way. So you, sort of, you still have this divide on Ocean Avenue between the Westwood Park people and the Ingleside people.
0: Now, this looks like one of those oval racetracks, but this was not no. based on one of the...
1: No, but you will tracks. find early reports in the 20s, people saying that was a racetrack or a dog racing track, but it wasn't. The dog racing track was a little to the east.
2: But this is the racing track down this, below. This, however,
0: is not far away from that. This is on the, yes. on the uh, south this or west side. This is Ingleside
1: Terraces, uh, developed by Joseph Leonard in the 19-teens. And again, it's that same thing with the residence park. We're going to have winding streets, we're going to have plantings, we're going to have, in this case, a giant sundial with a reflecting pond underneath it. It has pillars all around each end. They have a Doric column and an Ionic column. He made this whole thing up that it was supposed to be a commemoration of the Panama Canal opening, the Twin Peaks Tunnel opening. He had these girls in Isadora Duncan outfits, dancing at the dedication, and a baby being pushed by a live stork in a carriage. And the ironic thing about this giant sundial was dedicated at night
2: and oh. in the foggiest part of town.
1: <laughs> so it's kind of a, a strange little thing. But it's still there. You can go see it. It's in Ingleside Terraces on Entrada Court. This is another before and after shot that shows Twin Peaks, and this is around 1900. It's mostly dairy farms. And this is in the 50s. You can see they just started carving away at the hills. They built Miraloma Park and a lot of other neighborhoods. That building's still there. It's at Juniper Sara and Ocean Avenue. It's where the lakeside district is.
2: Now Eucalyptus. It's
1: a medical building. But I like the rocket. There's a lot of rocket stuff going on in the forties and fifties. Henry Dolger is a very well known builder in the area, uh, mass builder, admirer of Henry Ford, you know, the whole idea of like, we're just gonna get this down, we're gonna have an assembly line, we're gonna build a street of houses in quick style. So but you can see this is a nineteen thirty two, I think he built this house. He was a very much a pragmatic businessman. He built this house, which has a lot of these sort of Spanish colonial revival elements, and we've got this sort of barrel front window. And then, just a few years later, it's like, streamlined, sure, modern. And he actually called this one the stylocrat. <laughs> <laughs> uh, stylocrat? Stylocrat. Oh, like aristocrat <laughs> and style, you know. Oh, it's, it's better than being aristocratic, it's stylocrat. <laughs> and his homes looked so much alike and had so little differences between them. He to sell them, he had to come up with clever names like that. That was what he'd do. He'd say, "Come see the Lafayette." You know, it was nothing that made it any different than the Stylocrat. But, <laughs> but he went with the popular tastes. And when this modern architecture started coming in, he was happy because it was less work. You know, really, for
0: him. very little detailing on yeah. that.
1: The Stylocrat's still there, by the
0: way. But you see detailing on not just Dolger homes, but throughout the city. People took tracked homes or individualized and try to individualize them in various ways all throughout the city you can see this so here's an example of how they might have done that
1: yeah they had a lot of precast medallions and reliefs and florals and that they were just sort of stuck on the outside or
2: plastered right on
1: yeah right in the gables
2: that's the bass the poor would go out or the working class would go out to the beach to go swimming in the ocean in a heated pool, and then the wealthy would stay downtown in their private clubs like the Metropolitan, or the Marines Memorial, or the Elks, or the Olympic Club, and they would have heated uh, uh, salt water, but people wanted to swim in salt water.
0: So how did the salt water get all the way downtown? They had a
2: pipe that transferred the water all the way down to those four private clubs. Needless to say, that pipe rusted out because it was salt water, and then I've actually worked on two of the clubs because the pools were salt water and they rusted out, so they had to be repaired. But everyone else took the trolley car down and went swimming in the salt water pools, and they had different temperatures.
1: Yeah, there's seven pools, and they were supposedly adjusted to different temperatures if you wanted to have a cold swim or a warm swim.
2: How did they heat this?
1: Well, he had a huge uh, boiler or whatever I know that was out there. But the interesting thing, I, I guess it was, they're still trying to figure out exactly how he sucked in the sea water. He had this whole pumping system that went through the cliffs there and you can still sort of see the tunnels that are
3: there didn't Adol sutro make his initial fortune by being the engineer who figured out how to ventilate the mines at virginia city
1: that's the way he would phrase it probably
3: he drained
1: (laughs) them out of for water not for air He made his money promoting and getting backers for the tunnel. That's how he made his money. He essentially said, we need this tunnel. It's for safety. It's for air. It's for ventilation. It's for whatever you want it to be. But I know there's money to be made off these mines. So he got this tunnel built. He got people to back it. And then just before it pretty much opened and was proved to be not real helpful, he got out with his money. But he was a very philanthropic millionaire after that. Uh, but yeah. <laughs> right, but I,
3: but I bring it up as a reference that he had the engineering history, which allowed him to figure out how to do he something for the bats. He very interested
1: in creating large engineering marvels. It was definitely an interest of his.
0: And this, indeed, was one. Yeah. The largest indoor
2: pool, I, I understood.
1: It may have been. It, then it became an ice skating rink.
2: I, I was there when it was an ice skating rink, and they had mummies there uh, probably <laughs> a year before it burned down. And you said the mummies are at... San Francisco State.
1: Yeah, Sutro, he, he, he his taste level might have been a little questionable. He, he had that Victorian style of stuffing everything he could into this place. So he'd have coin collections and seashells and stuffed jaguars and anything he thought might be interesting or educational to people who came into the bath. So people come in for a swim, but they could also see... A it's huge culture. life-size tableau of the Last Supper, you know, that had lighting and music. But,
2: but that's not unusual for San Francisco, because right over here is Woodward Gardens. Russ, he had, a, he had like a city block in his house, and in the middle, he started collecting stuff, and then he invited friends over, and then eventually he opened it to the public, and he had a, a menagerie of stuff out yeah. there.
1: Yeah, it, it was an 1800s thing to, to collect odd things, trinkets, animals whatever and pull them together in a collection.
2: So did any of the
0: people in this room go to Sutro Baths when it was out there? Did you go there? Ice skating.
3: Ice skating.
0: Yeah.
3: yeah. Mhm. You Oh, sorry. <laughs> you could see the remains of the pools. Yeah. But I thought that the ice rink was made out of but one of the largest pools, wasn't it?
1: Yeah, the large the, the um, lower one that so you can see here the L that goes around the 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 other ones, it was uh, the, they took that. And they also, they they tried to make it a tropic beach theme, so they had an ice skating rink, but they also had a bunch of sand, like you couldn't go to the beach 40 feet away, but they put a bunch of sand indoors with lamps and umbrellas.
2: It did burn down. Yeah. But, um... It seems like it would have been a wonderful resource for the city yeah. to
3: either step in and purchase and rebuild no. or, or keep. Oh, you could never
2: afford the money to rebuild.
1: There it. were and a number of efforts to try thing. to keep it. The, the, the Sutro heirs tried to sell it to the city in the 50s first, and that kind of fell through. And so then they kept it going with the ice skating rink and other things. And then it closed, and it looked bad. And again, people were calling, we should buy this. We should you know, keep it as a pleasure place. Other people wanted to put condos in there. And then as that was all being wrangled out and it was closed, a mysterious fire started. And the whole place burned down. And so they still talk about it as a mysterious fire. Um, Right. So it could have been an insurance thing to help decide the thing once and for all.
0: Hello, Gladys. Received note. Was glad to hear from you. Am not going to return.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It's a post card.
0: We'll write in a few days. That's the baths in
1: the cliff house behind.
0: Outside bath that's still there. You can see the outside bath. And we see the chimney. That must have been his uh, heating right. area.
1: If you didn't want to swim at Sutro Baths, you could swim at Fly Shacker Pool, which opened in the 20s. But yeah. it was not heated? No. Although they talked about when they first built it, they were going to heat it, but they never did. And it was the coldest place to swim in the world, apparently. <laughs>
0: that's what I've heard. <laughs> Well, yes. I don't see very many people there. there are a
1: few. Oh, there were people there. This is a publicity shot. You can see that's a lifeguard in a boat. It was so big. It was the world's largest public pool, I guess. And so they had lifeguards in boats. And uh, to the, the building to the right is still there. It's the uh, bathhouse, a beautiful building, which is boarded up full of rats and homeless folk. Uh, it's on zoo property. And this is the zoo parking lot now. $8 you can park there. The beach was a big pleasure place. That's what people did before TV and radio. They went to the beaches. They'd go for Sunday picnics. They'd stay all day. Playland. And that's Playland at the beach on the left, which was an
2: amusement park that developed to cater to these people.
0: And I think we have a shot of the fun house.
2: Yeah. And Laughing Sal inside. No, she wasn't in the fun house.
1: She was in a little glass thing, a glass booth there at the fun house. Laughing Sal was an animatronic robot. Oh, it's much more of a crackle. Who crackle. went all day long in this booth and scared generations of San Franciscans out of their wits. And you can still see a version of Laughing Sal, whether it's the original one or not, is con- is up for contention at the Musee Mechanique, which is at Fisherman's Wharf now.
0: Is Here that, does that have a permanent home there? Month-to-month lease. Month-to-month. So they moved the Musee Mechanique from the Cliff House to this temporary so-called location at Fisherman's Wharf, but what they did leave at the Cliff House was the Camera Obscura, which is worth a visit, I'd say. It's one of the unusual little treasures of the city.
1: Oh, this is Ingleside Terraces. Again, uh, I think I was just trying to show off the residence park sort of home, yeah. St. Francis Wood, a lot of crazy building in the Ingleside Terraces. Forest Hill. Again, Forest Hill is one of the great stairways. It has this like center staircase with the vases and the landscaping around it. Again, a, a total residence, a residential park thing to have a ornamental staircase. This is just a crazy bar on West Portal called the Mandalay Bay that opened. It looked like a ship.
0: I liked it. Season's greetings. No, it's
1: just a firehouse. <laughs> they used to decorate firehouses for Christmas.
0: So, so I, thought... I hope you all understand on the side of this firehouse is this wooden tower. And what that tower is for, for drying the hoses so they don't mildew and rot. After a fire. After they get water in and they have to be dried.
1: And a firehouse just like this is for sale in the Ocean View right now on Broad Street. If you have $1.3 million, which is really cheap now for a firehouse, it's for sale.
0: And one in the uh, Inner Sunset was just sold, I understand. There's Did a, it sell?
1: I yeah. want to buy a firehouse.
2: I thought you wanted to buy a streetcar. I want to buy that, too. <laughs>
1: I can't pay my rent
0: <laughs> and the Dutch windmill in Golden Gate Park
2: there's two and they were for pumping water out well, of the ground
0: isn't one called the Dutch windmill and the other one is called southern the Murphy the windmill. Murphy Windmill. Samuel Murphy gave a lot of money for
1: it right.
3: so what decided the boundaries and the location of Golden Gate Park
1: it was a deal that they basically cut in 1868. the The whole outside lands was sort of up for grabs, right? Is it U.S. government land? Is it San Francisco land? And then you had all these squatters. And when I mean, when I say squatters, I don't necessarily mean like some poor guy. You know, like these are rich men who decide maybe we can make some money off this.
2: And you put up a fence and a house. You own the land,
1: trying to homestead. So they basically came to a compromise, and they said, "Okay, squatters, you get some. United States government, you have these certain military things reserved." And everybody has to give a little of the land to create a public park. And so that's where they came up with everybody donated a certain amount of claim to the land to create Golden Gate Park. But they also created smaller parks, such as Parkside Square, McCopin Square. Those were all part of that same 1868
2: deal. And a lot of the people out there got moved closer to downtown as part of the deal. So if you were out in, the, out in nowhere land and had a couple acres, they would trade you a better acre somewhere else
3: how was it decided to put it where it is
1: it was controversial people thought that they couldn't build a park out there because it was all sand dunes and there were other uh, uh, people pushing for a a large city park in other places in town so it was just a political compromise that it got created there.
3: right but again not just its location in the western part of san francisco but between lincoln and fulton and Stanyan and the beach.
1: You're saying, why did they they decide that exact block? I think that was, um, they brought Olmsted out, Frederick Olmsted from New York, to kind of come up with a park plan. And I think that eventually they just made made it a rectangle. And then they had this panhandle part. And the funny thing is, the panhandle was sort of a, it was supposed to be, I think, the same width as Golden Gate Park. But there was some little deal making going on between the park commissioners. And they decided they were going to Buy the land and cut off part of the panhandle and sell the land, which of course was very valuable because people wanted to live on the park. Uh, I was interested in the development of Lincoln Park and also Legion of Honor. You can see it used to be a cemetery there;
2: some of the relics oh, are it's there. On the map, it's a cemetery. So, what happened with that and all the bodies that were buried they there? They decided around the turn of the century they don't they had, they the land was too valuable to bury people. So where USF is now, there were four cemeteries, where Mission Dolores was a Jewish cemetery, where the Legion of Honor was a cemetery, they moved all the cemeteries out. They homesteaded the Columbarium, and so that actually stayed in place because the the heirs said we're not moving this. Um, interesting enough, there's a place few places where people are buried in the city. First Unitarian Church, Star King is buried, Mission uh, Dolores Presidio. That's Mission it. Dolores, Presidio and the Columbarium, but all the other ones were, quote, quote, moved out because the land was too valuable to bury people.
1: There's a big scandal with Lincoln Park. What happened was Alma Spreckles, a rich woman at the time, wanted to build the Legion of Honor out there, and she did, and she got it done, but they essentially had to prepare the land, which was the Golden Gate Cemetery, and the company or the people they hired didn't exactly get rid of any of the bodies.
2: Just the Just headstone?
1: the headstones. So then they build this museum, and there was some rumor about it at the time, but they build a museum. When they renovated the museum in the mid-'90s and they started digging down, nothing but bodies. Hundreds and hundreds of bodies.
2: Well, skeletons.
1: Skeletons. <laughs> <laughs> Former bodies. Yes. And it was a big scandal, and essentially what they did is they created a mass grave down in Colma and, and moved these remains. turned them. But there's pictures of, it's, it's so ironic, they have this like, statue, this Rodin, that's all shrink-wrapped and has all these things, and then they got the skeletons sticking out of the wall. You know, it just showed the relative worth of the of the things at the time. And they, they basically just stopped digging because they were going to keep finding bodies and they stopped. They're mm-hmm.
2: still out there. Yeah. There's bodies there. all over the place. North Beach used to be where they buried people <laughs> when Yoruba Buena was this small cove and they just went up the hill to North Beach and buried bodies.
0: And so they were moved from many of these cemeteries Some were to moved. to Colma, somewhere. And Colma has a motto, a slogan, and their slogan is Anybody know? It's great to be alive in Colma. That's you know what their slogan is.
1: Beats the alternative.
0: <laughs> yes.
3: I was just wondering if Gary Boulevard had always been a major thoroughfare. If um, it was.
1: It used to have streetcars on it, actually, too, which they're thinking of bringing back, I guess. I guess they got. No, they have a new you bus I plan. You think of Gary. Gary used to have streetcars, yeah. the B line and the A line, until the mid-50s. And they said, don't worry, we're taking these streetcars away, but soon Bart will come out here and everything will be fine.
2: Some of Geary Boulevard was part of the Burnham Plan. They adopted that. And you'll notice downtown is Geary Avenue. And when you get past Geary Street, and then you get past it becomes Geary Boulevard.
1: The Boulevard Plan was this whole, like, city beautiful thing in the 1910s that they were going to build. The streets should be large, and they should have vegetation and trees, and they should be, you know, more ornamental. But Geary Street uh, was the main road from the 1860s, essentially, to get out there. But it became a, a larger boulevard in the teens so and then was, even more in the 50s. So it
3: was, a plan. it was planned as a major thoroughfare
1: then? It was a toll road originally. Essentially, a bunch of rich men said, look, we're going to build a road here to the cliff house. We make people pay to get on the road, and then we make them pay when they get to the cliff house, essentially.
0: So it was a toll road. Well, I think that does it for today. I want to thank uh, Woody Labonte very much. Thank you. Pat Buscovich for coming and sharing their information, their maps, their great knowledge. And uh, we will see you next next year, your third Thursday. Thank you.